Well, I want to say good morning again to everyone here at Chanhassen. We have our friends joining online as well as Bush Lake and our West Tonka locations. And Happy New Year to everybody. Pastor Dan Johnson, who's our middle school pastor, is going to be sharing the message today. So we're super thrilled about this. You're going to hear a little bit more about Pastor Dan's story in his message. But uh, the long and short of it is that you are, I could even call you like a son of our church. You grew up here. You were an intern here. During your internship, you meet your future wife. You guys get married, was it this past summer, in the fall, summer? September, yeah. September. And um, been our middle school pastor now for the last... Two years. Two years. So Dan is just an incredible leader. I I, want to encourage you with this. Uh, You know, as, as a leader in our church, we get feedback all the time. I get the most unsolicited, positive feedback about you. In fact, I I just want to read you. Yeah, you can give him a hand for that. So I got this email. I just want to read this to you. I got this email. uh, Let's see. This was two months ago. This is about you. Uh, So they said, Pastor Clint, I just want to tell you about how much Dan Johnson, how much Dan Johnson means to me and my family. Uh, He is an incredible pastor and you have the ability to listen. You help my daughter navigate through many things that she was uh, trying to figure out. And what was so refreshing is that you didn't defend or interrupt her at any point. You were 110% attentive to every word that she shared. We are truly blessed to have him as a pastor at Westwood. He is a gifted leader, listener, and steward of God's great work. So I just want to lift you up. You are doing an amazing job. You're going to be a leader for our church and for our city for years to come. I'm so thrilled that you want to share this word with us. We're going to be encouraged this last Sunday of the year. Let's give it up, Pastor Dan Johnson. Thank you, Clint. Let me just say it's a gift to serve here at Westwood, uh, to be on leadership of Pastor Joel and Pastor Clint, um, and to see how God is at work in this community at large has been one of my favorite things. So thank you to you guys as well, because it is a joy to serve this congregation, um, and you guys make it really easy. I will just say that. Um, you know, this morning I want to share a few things with you guys, and I've learned over my few years in ministry here at Westwood that there is no greater thing that we can do as Christians than to get out of the way and let God work through you. And I'll share why through a story of a volunteer, I think, who executes that perfectly, and then I'll end with a conversation that I had with Pastor Joel and some scripture to back that up. Um, now, as I lead middle school ministry here at Westwood, we have this phrasing, Uh, that we believe the faith of the next generation means everything to us. You know, we believe that because we see that God believes that all the time in Scripture, that God's always constantly raising up the next generation to lead, to be the future leaders of the church, leaders of people, to be the people who take over. Now, as I read through the New Testament, there's a guy named Paul. He writes over half of the New Testament books, and he has this protege, this guy he mentors named Timothy. And he writes this verse in 1 Timothy 4.12 that I love, and it's what I choose to center my leadership around here at Westwood as we go out and lead the next generation. And here's what that verse says. It says, Paul writes to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in their speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, what does Paul mean as he speaks about this verse? Well, here's what he means. Right, he says, Timothy, set the example for believers, even though you're young, in your speech. Because Paul knows, and now we know as well, that our speech has the ability to either draw others closer to Christ or further away from Christ. So we need to be people who set the example in that. 
And it's the same thing with our conduct, that our actions, how we treat people, can either bring them closer or further away from Jesus. The next is in our love. I mean, it's tapes on our walls out here. We want to be people who be in love like Jesus Christ. Therefore, we need to set the example in love. And our whole goal in student ministries at the time our students turn 18 years old, they are known as people of love, namely people of Jesus Christ. The next is faith. I mean, that's the whole reason why we're here, right? We have faith in Jesus Christ. We believe he died. We believe he rose again after three days, and we believe he paid for our sins. The last is in our purity. You know, in a culture that's increasingly telling us to speak your truth, to live your truth, to do what you want to do, we will hold the line. We will stand firm and say, no, we are followers of Jesus Christ. We love like him. We lead like him. We be like him. And ultimately, we follow Jesus. And so as we set out to lead here in student ministries here at Westwood, this is how we do it. We set the example. And let me just tell you, when I speak this to my middle schoolers, I get it up, I get it taped on the walls and woodside, and I say it to them. And if you find the right middle schooler and you tell them to be the example, their eyes just get huge. And they're like, you want me to be the example? Do you want me to be the example of my parents or my teachers or coaches or my friends or my older siblings? Yeah, we do. We want you to be the example because we know that God wants you to be the example. And middle schoolers, you can see God light a fire inside them as we share this verse with them. Now, it's not just to our middle schools, but also to our leaders as well in the ministry. And I think someone named Hallie Sundelbach, a sophomore at Southwest Christian, illustrates this perfectly. She's a First Timothy 412 leader, as I call her. Now, just a few months ago, we took a group of middle schoolers up to a fall retreat at Camp Shaman, and we had the best weekend there. We took some high school leaders up with us as well, and part of the deal of leading as a high school leader was that you had to invest heavily into the middle school students. So you weren't there just to have fun, you were there to lead others. And so Hallie takes this mission seriously, and one of my favorite things about Hallie is that when she says yes to leading, she goes all in. It's not half in for her, it is 100%. And so I assign her two different middle schoolers that she can lead this weekend, um, and part of the deal is that she walks with them, she talks with them, she has conversations about Jesus, about life, about faith, and ultimately she prays over them. And I think for one of the girls, it was their first time ever getting prayed out loud for. And just what a moment that Hallie got to introduce to her life. Now, as Hallie is showing the way of Jesus to these girls, by our Saturday night here at this camp, the speaker invites students to begin a lifelong relationship with Jesus. He asks them to make a decision, not just at camp where it's easy, but to go home, to tell your parents, to tell your pastor, to tell your friends, you are now a follower of Jesus, not just today, but for your entire life. And as a speaker, there's over 500 kids at this camp, is asking kids to make a decision. Three girls from Westwood in our middle school ministry say yes. Two of those girls are Hallie's girls, the girls that she was investing in. And there was this moment where the speaker goes, okay, if you're saying yes to Jesus today for the rest of your life, stand up. These two girls stand up. Then he says, make eye contact with your pastor do it to make sure they know that you're saying yes to Jesus. And as I'm sitting there, these two girls are two rows ahead, but five seats to my right, and I'm looking at them, waiting for them to look back at me. They don't look at me. They instead turn to Hallie with these huge smiles on their faces saying, Hallie, Hallie, we're doing it. We're saying yes to Jesus Christ. And in that moment, I observed two things that I will always take away from Hallie's leadership. The first is that 
I've done my job, that I've set up Hallie to be a leader in the ministry, that she feels ownership to lead others, that she embodies 1 Timothy 4.12 to not let anyone look down on her because she's a sophomore, but instead to set the example to these two young girls. The second thing is that Hallie got out of the way and let God work through her, that she is fully invested to execute the work of God in our middle school ministry, and Hallie crushed that that weekend. And what I love about Hallie's story is that it reminds me a lot of my own story and my journey of faith. See, I was someone who was heavily influenced by my leaders, people like Hallie pouring into the next generation. My first Wednesday here, some of you may heard this story before. I come to Westwood. My mom doesn't even tell me we're going to church. She just says, I'm dropping you off in this place. Your friends will be there. It'll be amazing. And I'm thinking, great. Now, here's the thing. I tend to overthink. Maybe you do as well. I tend to just think a lot. I analyze a lot. I always have thoughts going, but this was one of those moments that I just had blind trust in my mom. And I don't even know why. So I don't even question. I'm just like, all right, great, mom. We're going. We come to Westwood. I'm in seventh grade. She drops me off the lower entrance over here. And now I'm thinking, she's going to come inside with me. No, she goes to the drop-off line. And I'm thinking, great. I'm a little bit nervous now. I walk inside to Westwood. I say, hey, my name is Dan. I'm here. The lady gets so bright. She goes, you're Dan Johnson. I've been waiting for you. And I'm thinking, you're waiting for me? What is this place? This is so cool. I then walk inside to A112 and like six of my friends from middle school are there. And they jump out of their seats and they welcome me. They dap me up. We high five. It is amazing. And I'm like, whatever this place is, it seems pretty cool. Now for the next five years, I'm coming to Westwood. I'm Memorizing verses like John 3.16, Romans 3.23. I'm hearing the gospel preached most Wednesday nights. Uh, I'm in worship. I'm getting prayed for by my leaders. They're showing me the way of Jesus. And I just had this feeling at Westwood that I feel nowhere else. And I recognize now it's the Holy Spirit, but then I couldn't identify that. But I just knew I loved being at church. Then when I was 17 years old, everything kind of made sense for me. We go to the summer camp. And we're in Colorado. And if you've been to Colorado, you know how beautiful it is in the Rockies. This camp is tucked away in the Rockies. The stars are beautiful at night. And we have cabins. Our small groups get to be in. And it's the most amazing time for us to be there. Now, one of the nights, our pastor at the time, high school pastor, he preaches the gospel to us. And he shares the story of Luke 15. If you haven't heard it, Jesus tells this parable of the prodigal son. What happens in this parable is that the son goes to his father and he says, Father, give me my share of the inheritance now. I want to live my own life. Translation is the son essentially says, Dad, I wish you were dead so I can have what you owe me after you pass away. Kind of a harsh thing to say to your dad if you're him. The son then lives this prodigal lifestyle, a lifestyle where he chooses to indulge in every single desire that he has. He goes to a far off land and he buys everything he wants. He eats all the great food. He does every single thing until he runs out of money. He finds himself bankrupt. He is broken. He is lost. He is a fraction of who he once was. And he gets to his breaking point. He says, I have to go back. I have to go back to my dad, but I'm not worthy to be my dad's son anymore. I'm only worthy to be his hired hand. And so the son, he's walking home to his dad, the super long distance, and he just gets to the horizon line. And his dad sees him And you would think in this moment, the last conversation being his son saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Instead, the father 
sprints to his son with joy in his face. He hands him a ring. He slays the fattest calf and throws this huge party because his son, who was once lost, is now home. And I love that image of God just running and chasing towards us. As I'm 17, I'm understanding how much God cares, not just for me, but for my friends, for my family, for every single person that I know. And I am just gleaming at the thought of God doing this. I've never heard God explained in this way until that night. Then after the sermon, I'm starting to read my Bible, and I come across this verse, Romans 5.8. It says this. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I'm thinking about this verse, thinking how powerful this image is in my head. That while I was still a sinner, while I was living my prodigal lifestyle in disobedience to the Father, Christ still died for me. And I find myself praying in Colorado and just picture this moment with me. The stars are in the sky. It's nighttime. It's a little bit chilly. And I've had this awesome long day at camp. I've, I'm soaking in Luke 15 and Romans 5, 8. And I just get to this moment in prayer. I'm thinking about Jesus Christ dying on the cross. I'm thinking about all of my sins that he is taking on and he is carrying for me. I was told he was up on the cross for six hours with nails in his hands and his feet. And the thought of me, the thought of you, goes through his head. Yet he still stays on the cross. He doesn't come down because he thinks you're worth it. He thinks I'm worth it. And I had this thought at 17 years old. I'm thinking to myself, man, if God's going to do all of that for me, then I will follow this God wherever he's going to lead me. And so I can look back in my life, and man, I have stories of Hallie leading above and beyond at Westwood. I have stories of how God's working in middle school ministry, how God worked in my life at 17 years old, what's happening to our students right now. But I can't help but think that I'm always prone to forget these things. That in my head, I know all these things. Like, I, I know the stories. I know what's in the Bible. I've lived these things, and I know it all. But my heart has a hard time executing them. My heart has a hard time walking through with that, of taking what I know in my head, actually applying it to my life. And so I find myself two years ago in this crossroads where I'm really struggling with a lot of questions I have with God. So you have these two mentors in my life who are really investing in me. They're showing me the way of Jesus. They're caring for me. They're loving for me. They're giving me opportunities in ministry I've never even dreamed or thought of. And within around six weeks, both of these mentors come to me and tell me that God's calling them to new places. That they're going to different states for different opportunities that God's opening the doors for. And it leaves me kind of confused and wondering, what is God doing right now? I'm like, I know God's good, but this doesn't feel like a good thing that God's doing. This is the most strategic thing that God's doing. Like, they're leaving. They're leaving me. And if you ever been with someone as they transition out of state, you, you know the feeling, right? Where you're really happy for them. Like they have this awesome opportunity. God's opening a door. There's excitement around it. But at the same time, there's grief all around that transition. You're thinking to yourself, why? And so I find myself at this crossroads of my faith. God is amazing. God is at work at Westwood. God's doing all these amazing things. But at the same time, why did God make this decision? Why is he doing this next thing? And so I, I emailed Pastor Joel and I asked to have a conversation with him just to process all these things. We found a time to talk to me. I go to his office and it's at this moment I realized Pastor Joel is a great listener. 
I think I spent about 15 minutes just spilling my guts to Pastor Joel. I'm telling him every single thing I'm feeling, all these thoughts, these questions, these emotions, the highs, the lows, every single thing I, I just give to Pastor Joel, and he just listens really well. He then pauses after I get done with everything, and he just waits a few moments. And as he's waiting a few minutes to speak back to me, my heart rate is just increasing, thinking, what's he going to say? He's got to say something. Like, he just listened a long time to me. And he gives me this phrase that I don't think, or he asked me this question I don't think I'll ever forget. He asked me, Dan, where are you finding your confidence right now? Are you finding your confidence in yourself? Is your confidence in your mentors in your life? Or is your confidence in God? Because I don't think right now you're finding your confidence in God. And that was kind of a punch to my gut, but in a loving way. And I think what I needed to hear in that moment, because I wasn't finding my confidence in the right places. I was going to the wrong places. Pastor Joel then um, prays for me. He lets me know that prayers are way forward as a church. And here's the only way I can describe this prayer. I walk into it and I am feeling burdened. I'm feeling this weight on me, this weight that you just can't get off, this pounding in my chest. I'm feeling nervous, worried, insecure, all these negative emotions I am feeling right now. We then enter into prayer. Pastor Joel is praying for me just a few moments. And once we get out of that prayer, he says amen. And I feel great. I feel this weight lifted off of me. I feel excited. I feel hopeful for what God's going to do. And all I know is that prayer changed me that day. And I'm excited that at Westwood here, our prayer is our way forward as a church. And that gets me excited because I know that prayer changes things. Namely, Prayer changes our hearts and it aligns our hearts with what God wants and what God desires. It helps us build trust into God. And that's what happened to me in that prayer that day. Joel then shares Hebrews 4.16, our upcoming verse of the year here at Westwood, and it's ingrained in me now. He shares this. He says, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And as he's sharing this verse, my brain's going about a million miles per hour thinking, why is that the verse of the year? Why is he sharing it to me? How does it even apply to me? And it becomes clear. Now, side note, whenever I teach my middle schoolers, I always share this fact with them, that the Bible is the written word of God. That the Bible is God breathed and God spoken to us. That the words on the Bible is that what God needs us to know. And so when we open up the Bible, we have to have this high expectation that God's going to speak to us. And we have to learn what God's saying through every word, every verse, and every story. And so if we look at Hebrews 4.16 with that expectation, there's a few things we can pull out. Right? Lastly, it says, to help us in our time of need. And I think that's deliberately vague. So we can apply our situation into that. For me, two years ago, it was my mentors leaving. That was my time of need. But for you, it could be a work struggle. It could be a problem you're having at home with your kids or your wife or your husband or whatever is going through. could be a friendship struggle. It could be something in your time of need or as Clint even says, a pebble in your shoe. It then says that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us. And that's a promise that we get from God that he's going to give us mercy. He's going to give us grace to help us. And can I just say, praise God that I am not God. Because if you had to come to me to find your grace and receive your mercy, there's like a 50-50 shot you're even getting it. Like, if I had a good night of sleep, you might get it, but you might not. But here's the thing from God. 
is that God delivers on his promises. So when God tells me and God tells you, there's a promise from the Bible that we will receive mercy and find grace, you better bet the house that you're getting that mercy and you're getting that grace because that is who God is. Lastly, it says that we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Now, what does that mean, right? We can have confidence. Why can we have confidence? If you were to give me a Sunday school answer of Jesus, well, you're right, but it's a little bit deeper than that. Hebrews 4.15, let's look at it together. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every single way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. See, our confidence comes from knowing that Jesus Christ already endured all that you've been through. He's endured the temptation that you have going through right now. He's not only endured it, he's also defeated it. He's won. He's got it in the bag, knowing for you that you can look to Jesus in your time of need, in your help, and you have confidence from Jesus that he's got you, that he's holding you in the palm of his hand, and he's saying, you're good. You just give it to me. Now, that doesn't mean we are absent of troubles in our entire life. That's not what that means. It means that when we have troubles, when we struggle, when we have hard times, we can simply look to Jesus and we have confidence knowing that he's going to overcome. And that's one of my favorite things to even think about with Scripture. And so as Pastor Joel's explaining why he's prayerfully chosen Hebrews 4.16 as our verse of the year for the year, he then says this phrase to me I don't think I'll ever forget. He says, Dan, get out of the way and let God work through you. Now, what Pastor Joel means in this moment as he says this is he means, I'm caught up in insecurity. I'm caught up in worry. I'm caught up in doubt. I'm caught up in fear. I'm caught up in all of these emotions, and I'm getting in the way of what God's trying to do through me. And so my next step was to lay that down at the feet of Jesus, to go to God in prayer and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm insecure right now, and I just give it to you. I am worrying right now about things I should not be worrying about. I need to give it to you. And here's the thing is I wish, I wish I could say it's a one-time thing. That it was just two years ago I prayed this prayer and I was fine. I was out the door and I'm the most secure person ever. And that's just not the case. Actually, instead, it's every day I need to pray and say, Jesus, I am feeling this. Please take it from me. I'm laying this down at your feet. I'm surrendering to you. You go and take it. See, because something that I am prone to do is I am prone to want to control things. That when things don't go well in my life, I am prone to say, well, that makes me mad. I'm going to go fix it instead. When things don't go my way, I am prone to get in the driver's seat, as Pastor Joel says, and take control. But the irony is that if I'm a Christian, that I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, then I need to follow Jesus in those things. And if to follow Jesus means to help, to ask for his help in my time of need. And I think we all kind of go through this, right? Like, when things don't go your, your way, what's your first reaction? Is it excitement? Are you overjoyed when things don't go your way? I would argue probably not. When you're in a moment of stress or panic, are, are you looking to Jesus first? Or are you looking to yourself first? In moments where you're tired or you're angry, when things begin to get hard, is your first reaction to push God away and say, no, if God is good, then only good things to happen to me. When bad things happen to me, then God surely is not good. Is that your first reaction? Or maybe for you, when you begin to pray about things, you kind of get a loss for words. And you begin to pray and you start calling the name of Jesus, but you're not equipped of what to say next. Or some of us in the room, we begin to pray. And we pray and pray and pray. We pray so many words that 
we actually don't give time for God to speak to us and for God to mold our hearts and for God to interact with us instead. See, I think it's really easy to focus on our present worries. It's really easy to focus on our time of need right now and look to us. The hard thing is to be weak instead and to go to Jesus. You know, a common theme in the Bible is about bringing your weaknesses over to Jesus. It's littered all over the Bible. If you just look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says this to us. But he said to me, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. See, I can get up on stage this morning, I can tell you that I'm insecure. I can tell you that I worry, that I, I fear a lot, that I overthink all these things, and I can share my weaknesses with you only because I know that I can boast about those because that's when Christ's power rests on me. It's this gift exchange that's going on with the scripture, that I can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, here's my insecurity, I'm giving it to you. Jesus, then honored with that gift, then gives me his perfect power. Like, it's the most unfair gift exchange ever, but that's what Jesus does. For you, it can be fill in the blank. You can gift your needs to Jesus. He'll then gift you his power. It's going to rest on you. And you have that hope and that promise as a follower of Jesus. You know, one of my other favorite verses is Isaiah 40, 31. It says this, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. There's this vision that Isaiah gives to us as followers of Christ, that when we place our hope not in ourselves, but our hope goes into Jesus, we're going to soar on wings like eagles. We're going to run and not grow weary. We're going to walk and not be faint. I'm not a runner. I can maybe go about a half mile before I get tired. This vision is we're going, and we're going, and we're going, because we're hoping in Jesus. That's one of my favorite things, the visions that Jesus gives us in Scripture. And so when do we need hope? Well, the moment we need hope is when we realize that I can't do it myself. That when we come to a point saying, it's not about me, this is about Jesus. And when we know that, then we can go to Christ and we can receive that hope. And so I'd invite you to ask the same question that Pastor Joel asked me two years ago. (laughs) What do you need to bring to Jesus so that you can get out of the way and let God work through you? For me, it's insecurity, it's worry, it's fear, it's all of those things. But for you, what is it? What do you need to bring to Jesus so you can get out of the way and let God work through you? Because the moment you do this is the moment it becomes contagious to those around you. Let me close with the story of my mom and how she's done this really well in my life. See, my senior year of Bethel, I was about to graduate and I knew two things when I was about to graduate. That I want to go to seminary, go to grad school and get my degree that I also had a lot of student debt from going to a private Christian college. And those two things do not work well. And so as I'm about to graduate, I'm talking to my mom, and I'm thinking, how can I control this situation? I'm thinking to myself, okay, what if I get a second job, that second job then fuels all of my seminary payments, then I'll be fine. Or I'm thinking, what if I, you know, just don't go to seminary for like 10 years, wait on it, pay off all my debt, and then go. I'm talking to my mom, I'm saying to her, Mom, what if I live in your basement, you pay for my rent, you pay for all my groceries, I then use that money for seminary. To that, her eyes got pretty big back at me and said, maybe, knowing it's the maybe you get from mom where she's really saying no, but she's actually saying maybe. And 
we're talking, and she just cuts me off in a loving way only a mother can. And she just goes, damn, what are you doing? Why are you thinking all these things right now? You know, if this is God's will in your life, if God wants you to take the next step to become a pastor and to go to seminary, he's going to figure it out. He's going to find a way, not you. Let's hope in God. Let's find our trust in him. God's got you covered. And as she was saying that, it just made sense to me. And I was like, yeah, why aren't I not hoping in Jesus? And the irony is, I was, I'm a pastor. Like I, my first thought should be Jesus, and it was just not Jesus. And as my mom's telling me these things, her hope in the Lord becomes contagious to my now hoping in the Lord. And I walk away thinking, God's got my back. And he's got your back as well. And so as we close this sermon, I just want to ask you the question again. What do you need to bring to Jesus so you can get out of the way and let God work through you? Is it your insecurity? Is it your fear? Is it your relationships? Is it whatever it is? What do you need to bring to his feet? This is the best thing that you can do as a Christian. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, let us be people who are available to you. Let us be that one virtue that just marks us as followers of Christ, that we're available. We're able to respond to you and your God promptings and walk and talk with you. God, we thank you for the promises that you give us in Scripture, knowing that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, and you'll help us in our time of need. So God, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. Amen.